Hey there, welcome to Disembodied Podcast. This is Evie Escher. Today I've got an interview with Ambika Devi, and she is a meditation teacher, but so much more than that, really. She's a writer, and she's into Ayurveda. She teaches all sorts of spiritually related courses. We're going to cover a lot of ground in this conversation, in fact. She's also a part of a mystery school called the Gray School, and in a couple of weeks, I'll be uploading an interview with the headmaster of that school, whose name is Oberon Zell. So that will follow. Ambika has a course that she's offering us a discount on. It's called End Sleep Envy, and she's offering listeners of this podcast a 50% discount on that course. So I will put the coupon code in the show notes for this episode. So this is a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Welcome to Disembodied Podcast. I'm glad to have you. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I have looked at all that you do, and really, you're quite a powerhouse as far as offering a lot of great services to people. You teach people how to meditate. You're into... Ayurvedic medicine, and you've got even a school of wizardry. (laughs) The school is not mine. I'm a part of a school of wizardry. Okay. Yeah. So we can get to the school of wizardry maybe at the end, but um, I definitely want to talk to you about breath work. And I did listen to one of your podcast episodes. I think somebody interviewed you where you were talking about how to get around insomnia. And I Mm -hmm. think that's a pretty useful topic nowadays for people. Mm -hmm. I find myself even, I think I drink a little too much coffee sometimes. Mm. And I find that it's very hard to unwind at night. I'll I'll fall asleep on the couch. And then when I go to bed, I'm wide awake for a long time. Do you know what time of day you usually or early, early morning that you usually wake up? I wake up at around 7.37. Oh, no, I mean, you say you fall asleep and then you awaken and you can't get back to sleep. Oh, yeah. What time is that? I fall asleep at maybe around midnight and then I'll wake up actually at like 11.30 maybe. And then I'll wake up at 12.30 or so Mm, and I go to bed and I can't fall asleep again. Yeah, this is um, each of the organs. Before I got interested in Ayurveda, the first thing was meditation and then yoga. Ayurveda is a sister science. Uh, After meditation and yoga became fascinating to me, then astrology, which is also a sister science of yoga. Uh, It took a while for Ayurveda to be more recognized. Astrology still stays in that pop culture kind of fringe place. It's very, very popular, but as a science, well, let's just say there's split teams on that one. And, yeah. uh, and then Ayurveda, which is a sister science. These are three sisters. Yoga, which is for meditation. Ayurveda, which is for environment and body is part of that. And then astrology, which is spirit. This is where the idea of body, mind, spirit came from. Body, mm-hmm. Ayurveda, mind, yoga, Although yoga as a word has been used to brand an exercise program. So people associate it with body, but truly the body part is handled by Ayurveda and then spirit. So body, mind, spirit, spirit is astrology and Jyotisha is the, the proper Sanskrit name for astrology, which means the science of light, Mm -hmm. the stars. 
Yeah. Beautiful. I like that. I, yeah. I've never actually heard that, that Sanskrit word before. Jyotisha. I don't think I've heard of it before. Uh, Jyot, Jyota is light. So mm -hmm. Jyotisha, we could say like a practitioner of light. Yeah. Uh, light worker. Uh -huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sort of. Not exactly how we use light worker in English. Uh, it's mm -hmm. really the science of light. So how do you use Ayurveda? This is going to be a general question, but how do you use Ayurvedic medicine in your own life? Well, it's, it's not really medicine. It's really a way of life. It's a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So it involves many aspects uh, as far as what is my environment like? What kind of vibrations do I allow in my environment with the lighting, the colors, the placement of things? And then when it has to do directly with health and the body, then it's about certain herbs that help to stimulate things that I want stimulated or calm and, and uh, pacify things that require that. So there's three main divisions and then there's sub categories where they come into play with each other. So these are called doshas. Mm -hmm. And the three doshas relate to elements, each has a pair of elements that it relates to. So vata is space and air, pitta is fire and water, and kapha, which a lot of people pronounce kapha, because it's spelled k-a-p-h-a in English, mm -hmm. but it's actually properly pronounced kapha. The H is an aspirate and uh, it's an aspirated sound. And so pitta, fire and water, kapha, earth and water. And those are two different aspects of water. Why does water play into two of these? Well, we're made mostly of water. So there's different types that we have going on, different qualities and natures of that. And that's what Ayurveda is really all about is like, what is your nature? What did you come in with? What are your likes and dislikes? And what things make you happy? What things put you off? And then when we can determine which doshas you are, so let's say you're predominant in Pitta, which Pitta is the largest group, and you have a subdominant of vata. We would call that pitta vata. And so these create a balance. That doesn't mean kapha doesn't exist in you. It usually exists somewhere. And then there's, there's the smaller, smallest group, which is tree doshic. It's all three doshas where they really are playing check and balance with each other. This is a smaller group of people. And it's a very fascinating way to divide up our qualities, our natures. So we have the type that we came in with, and then we have the type we're experiencing now. And between the information of those two, we can then look at, well, what would help? What kind of music might help if you listen to it? What types of changes and shifts could you make in your environment? Like you said, I think I'm drinking too much coffee. So that's, that's elevating vata and pitta in you and it's aggravating them a bit so we'd need some things to sedate them and it may not actually be the caffeine it could be something else it could be light it could be using screens there's so much blue light from screens that in the sleep course that i wrote because i i do have a course to help insomniacs and i was particularly interested in your style of insomniac where i can fall asleep but then i wake up 
how do I get back to sleep? Yeah. I, I find that that's even more difficult for some people, for the greater group of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in the course, what I did, Evie, is I've created guided creative visualization style yoga nidra slash a little hypnosis style, what we would loosely call guided meditation. And I made different styles for each night. It's a seven day course. You can do it on your own uh, at whatever pace you like. And I get distinct feedback from people. I really like this one. This one does nothing for me. So I really tried to use different styles so that people could find one or preferably three or four that work for them. And then I talk about all these different environmental changes that I've figured out and made for myself because I can be a super light sleeper and a bit of an insomniac too. So that was the motivation behind wanting to do this. It's, it's not just like, I think I'll make a course for people who can't sleep. I, I wanted to really look at what I was doing and, and coaching people this comes up quite a bit. So I realized, well, there's a need for this. There's because with sleep, there's no blanket rhyme or reason to it. You know, it's, yeah, it's different for everybody. And there's so many little nuances. And I came from a background of working in holistic health and handling all sorts of questions and bodily shiftings and needs from my clients. And so it was very comfortable for me to think about what would I want to give in a course like this? And I call it end sleep envy. I'll definitely uh, create a discount coupon for your listeners that you can post. Oh, thanks. That would be great. Uh, For those of you listening, it'll be EV, her initials EV helps me sleep. So I (laughs) I will make a note of that right now. And I'll, I'll make a bunch of gift certificates for a discount, a big, I'm going to give you a huge discount, everybody, because I don't want to make you more of an insomniac. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you a 50% discount on oh, Sleep Envy. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Sure. My pleasure. I appreciate everybody listening and being one of your followers. So I want to help pass the love along. Yeah, that is such a prevalent complaint nowadays, because I was just talking to a friend of mine, too, that is having trouble sleeping. And it's just really common. And I think some people have the inclination to maybe take a sleeping pill or something. But I don't think that's a solution. I, I think you have to like I do notice if I exercise early in the evening, if I take a long walk, I'm much more likely to sleep the night through. If I skip that, Well, it's anybody's guess as to whether I'll sleep. So So. a walk after dinner, right? Yeah. After your last meal. Yes. And that's a really good thing for people who have a kappa imbalance or tendency. I'm very, very kappa by nature. And I find when I go out for those later night walks, I too am able to sleep. Just being outside and connecting with nature is huge. And then I, if I can, I like to get out there when the sun is setting, because in that last hour, the sun is safe to gaze at. And I find sun gazing during the safe hour of either the hour from sunrise or the hour leading to sunset. This is very helpful for the circadian rhythms. So the fact that a person would wake up around midnight or between midnight 
let's say between 11 and, and 1 or 2 a.m. is usually there's an active process going on with the liver and gallbladder then. And it's a part of digestion. So making some adjust, uh, adjustments in diet or helping uh, enzymatically could be part of it. There, like I said, everybody's different. So that's why no one sleep method or course or something to put in your mouth is going to work for everybody because there's so many different reasons why. I mean, in Ayurveda, there are pillars that are these structural things and one is lifestyle. So that, I mean, that encompasses everything really. One is diet and one is sleep. So if we're not getting enough sleep or quality sleep, we're for sure doing some damage on these bodies we reside in. Yeah, you do. I think it makes your life a little bit shorter and it makes you have a little more aggravation day to day if you're not rested. You know, you just feel like you're not, you don't have the strength sometimes to deal with things if you're not rested. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's important. How do you feel about eating meat? I myself am, I would say I'm by and large vegetarian, but I do eat some meat Mm -hmm. sometimes because I feel like I was raised with it and I feel like I have a taste for it. It's hard to Mm. totally get rid of that. There's been times in my life where I've been completely vegan, where I've been vegetarian, pescatarian, ovo-lacto. So I mean, I've tried it all. In traditional oriental medicine, which I'm also trained in, everything in moderation is the motto. So everything omnivore, but in moderation. And I would have to say for each individual, you have to figure out what works for you. And if you're having something symptomatically, like can't sleep or digestive issues, taking things out of the diet, putting them back in is really the only way to figure it out. Gut health is such a huge topic. Uh, But that's, you know, when we think about it, why do our bodies sleep? They sleep to do things like digest, restore, rejuvenate, build new tissue, detox. And our environments are filled with things that challenge this. Yeah, I guess the, um, the devices we're using wouldn't have a healthy impact on us, whether well, it's, it's not a large just a room or a small room. <laughs> it's, it's chemicals and chemistry too outside, you know, being yeah. used in your neighborhood nearby. I mean, it's all moving around and traveling around on the air. I eat very much plant-based, but occasionally some animal products do find their way into my diet these days. So it just, but I've gone through long periods. I think the longest stretch I did as a vegan was 27 years. And yeah, I'll be 62 this year. So I've tried it all. And I can't say there's just one way. Energies change and shift. And so do our needs. That's amazing. 27 years. I don't think I could uh, be vegan that long at all. (laughs) And I did it a long time ago when there weren't so many prefabricated things. I've always been a cook from scratch person. So yeah, I think think that's the biggest deal is processed foods. And even bigger than meat, no meat is you know, do you know where sugar's hiding in your diet? Yeah, yeah. Because there are many, many hidden names. 
You know, if it has the word starch, it's sugar. If it has syrup, it's sugar. If you walk down the aisle, can you find a jar of tomato sauce without sugar in it? No. I challenge you to go to the store. If you can, I'm impressed. Now, I'm not talking about just pureed tomatoes. That's obviously just pureed tomatoes, but it's really hard to find it. And then as a meditator, a habit that I got into years and years ago was to let go of allium plants, which are onion, garlic, leeks, scallions, shallots, chives. And uh, because there are constituents in these allium plants that actually do some damage to the brain, yes, they have some very good constituents and chemicals in them, but mm -hmm. as meditators, we don't eat them because they disturb the mind. They're very disturbing. But there are other things that, you know, like hot pepper, mustard, for certain people, those could be just as difficult if they have, let's say, more vata in their system, uh, could be upsetting. But I've always wondered, is it really gluten that's bothering people? Or is it the onions and garlic that they're having <laughs> with the gluten? Because it can do a lot to the digestion. I think something people don't really know about garlic is it's used in chemical weaponry. <laughs> it's strong Yikes. stuff. Yeah. So if you think about it like a medicine, like a weapon, and not a daily food, that's better. Well, I love garlic. So you are shattering me here. <laughs> I'm shattered. I apologize. I did not mean to shatter you, Evie. Uh, but this is this is a meditator thing. If it's not your path, it's not your path. I'm not I'm, I don't want to should you or any of your listeners. I meditate myself. I tend to think that when I eat meat, when I eat anything heavy, it affects my ability to meditate. It, it slows in me down. In a good way or? In a bad way. Really? Way. It, yeah. Well, definitely meats would be more grounding. You know, they would. Yeah. They, so for some people that could work really well. But for others, it might be maybe what you're sensing more is the digestion. That's what I'm guessing. I mean, just from the bit you've told me, then I would say, let's look at let's really look at gut health and digestion to see what's going on here and maybe making a little adjustment there. Could be. I mean, I take a lot of enzymes anyway. You well, know, but there's so many and probiotics. There's so many. Take you, have probiotics the, too. <laughs> you have to find the right ones. You yeah, know, if you're not getting the results you want, then you've got to look for, uh, you've got to try something else and keep looking. Yeah. There's not a one size fits all with things. And really there, nowadays there are so many varieties of probiotics that I'm almost confounded when I go to the health food store, because years ago, you didn't even have much of a choice, right? You had some acidophilus and not a lot of choices, but in the past 20 years or so, the floodgates have opened and now there's every type of probiotic combination you can find, you know? And the best is just experiment. I make my own yogurt. I make it out of almond and coconut milk that I make. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and uh, I use a lot of, I use a variety of probiotic to create my mother culture. So occasionally when I'm making a batch, I'll put some more in just to up and change the strains. It's great that you do it yourself. I have never tried that. I probably should try it. Sometime. Well, if you have an instant pot, you can do it in your, you know, if you have the kind that has the yogurt setting, it's so easy. Yeah. Or a crock pot maybe. Or Yeah, I would think um, it just has to stay at a certain temperature. So I don't know about the controls on a crock pot, yeah. but 
some forms of the instant pots have a yogurt setting. Yeah, the key is you want to bring it up to a certain temperature to kill off the bacteria you don't want, cool it down to a certain temperature, mix in your batch of whatever is going to create the um, chemical reaction for you. So that's why you can use some yogurt you already have to create more because it will do that. That's the point where you could add in some probiotic and then set it. The setting is 114 Fahrenheit. Newer Instant Pots have that setting. So once you get it cooled down and you mix everything in, yeah. There's tons of YouTube videos that you can watch to learn how to make it. There's all kinds of techniques. Some people do it in their oven using the oven light. For some reason, that stays the right temperature. Seems like kind of a waste of an oven light bulb, but maybe not. Do you think the yogurt you make is actually healthier and better than anything you could buy? I know it is. Number one, it's not packed in plastic. Number two, I'm making the almond milk and the coconut milk from scratch to put in there. Oh, okay. You're making them from scratch. All right. Yeah. And then I'm using strains that I know and I keep it in glass in the fridge. Yeah. The glass packaging is better for sure. Yeah. They're just also in a lot of the commercial stuff and including the commercial milks, milk with a Y, (laughs) the alternative milks, um, (laughs) they are putting thickeners, thickening agents in them. Some of them are innocuous or they're not going to, but they may be what's bugging your digestion. You don't know. Yeah. Until you eliminate it and see, there's no way to know. That's right. That's something to think about. I maybe I'll venture into making my own yogurt. I certainly have a crock pot that I could put to use. So I'll see if I can handle that. Let's talk a little bit about um, meditation because I know you're a meditation teacher. What have you found is the easiest way to kind of get people able to meditate who weren't able to meditate maybe previously? I think the biggest challenge for people meditating, Evie, is the directions of the most basic way to meditate, which is sit up straight, close your eyes and focus on your breath. But everybody's got these mind connections and the mind is waving and jumping around and giving all kinds of information and shopping lists and flashes from the past. So the trick is really, how do we quiet the mind? Because that's the biggest challenge for most people. And I personally find the easiest ways to do that are using pranayama, which are the breathing exercises taught in yoga, and also using my voice. So primordial voice in a form of chanting. So primordial sound really eliminates a lot of mind chatter. And when we're practicing any kind of chanting, we're also practicing breathing. Yeah, that's true. It controls your breath naturally to chant. Mm -hmm. So it seems to be the easiest way for my beginners to get a sensation. I think the thing that throws people the most is they may be drifting in and out of the state of meditation, but they can't identify it. They can't get in touch with what does it feel like in my physical body? What does it feel like? What do I notice in my senses? How does my saliva change? What do I notice in my hearing, my eyes are closed, but we still have kind of an inner vision. So is my inner vision changing? Is the taste in my mouth changing? So through all the senses, we can then learn how to observe 
And then we know when we're in a certain place or the state of meditation, it is a state of being. And I think the quickest way is practicing some focused breath or sound. And what type of breath work do you think is maybe a good stepping stone, you know, like a first step? A first step is to get in touch with what does a full deep breath feel like? So being able to exhale fully, pushing the tummy in towards the spine, and then inhaling and relaxing the belly, letting it blow up like a balloon. Once we can get in touch with the muscles that are involved with breathing in and out, then we can play with what's called kumbhaka. Kumbhaka are the the stalls or the halting of the breath. So after we inhale, holding the breath, and then after we exhale, drawing the tummy in, holding the breath out, these pauses are the place where the mind gets the quietest. So as you're practicing it, and if you're driving, listening to this, don't do this right now. That's why I didn't demonstrate it right away. What will happen is you'll begin to notice during those kumbhaka points, during those places of halting the breathing is when everything goes completely quiet. Now, I'm not saying hold your breath forever, but isn't (laughs) it interesting? Have you ever seen a little kid get mad and they, they hold their breath? Yes. They're spontaneously doing this. They are clued in to the fact that when they're holding their breath, all this crazy stuff through the mind stops. Hmm. It's a, it's a natural reaction for human beings. And so I've got, I've got this mission that I would love to see teachers, classroom teachers of little kids be able to teach some of these breathing exercises. I mean, wouldn't it be nice, Evie, if you were a little kid and you walked into your classroom, whether it's on Zoom now or you actually walk into a classroom and before anything happens, you just clear your desk off and you sit and your teacher leads the entire group along with her, his or herself through some breathing and maybe just some Sounds, you don't have to get fancy with the mantras, everybody. Just practice vowel sounds. Try ah, try ooh, try mm, try with maybe a consonant sound before ta, tum, and just on a single breath saying the sound until it dissipates and then just feeling it and notice which vowel sounds work for you. Again, it's, it's like the dietary thing. You have to kind of plug in a few choices and then see, wow, that one really worked. That really relaxed me. Yeah, it is kind of a trial and error thing. And I think you may be attracted to some vowel sounds more than others. I know I've done ma a lot. I was taught that one and I've done om a lot too. Mm-hmm. I think what's really cool about the vowel sounds is that you can activate your pineal gland, you know, with that vibration, that vocal vibration. There's a particular technique and this is yoga. This would be a yoga, a sound yoga thing. So when we say, ah, we're actually activating the lower parts of us, the lower chakras. And then when we say, ooh, we're coming into 
heart space. And when we say, mm, we're in the upper regions mm-hmm. and those are the sounds that OM is made out of. It's not yeah. just OM. It's actually more properly spelled A-U-M because it's A-U-M. But at the end of the sound is where you actually physically draw the sound from the buccal area around the lips up into the pineal gland. So there are techniques that I teach people of how to move that sound in particular into the center of your head. Wow, cool. (laughs) There's a lot more to it than uh, you're you're scratching the surface and that's great, but there's a lot more to it. I'm sure everything can be optimized, you know. Mm -hmm. I think so much of this stuff is kind of widely available now, but I guess it's hard to, for the average person, maybe to know what's of use for themselves and how Mm. to you know, really get into it. It's almost like there's too much information now that everybody's confronted with. And it's hard to know, like, (laughs) what to take on and what to leave, you know, there absolutely is a lot of information. This is why I think it's so important to be with a skilled teacher or guide, because they can evaluate where you're at, and then pull you even further Mm -hmm. by knowing which techniques would help. So if you're out there experimenting, watching YouTube videos and listening to podcasts, I mean, by all means, you're getting great information from all these people, but then it's really important to have somebody who can work with you one-on-one and really help you figure out, wow, if I do this, it just launches me into way beyond where I thought I'd ever get. Right. You can struggle or you can take the faster route. And I think there are some people that will experiment with things and kind of hit their stride with it too. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's, sure, all of levels of, there's all levels of like taking on this type of work, these spiritual practices. Absolutely. Have you ever found a particular article of clothing, maybe a type of lounge wear or a type of t-shirt where you bought one, you loved it, and then you bought a bunch more, maybe in different colors or maybe even the same color? Has there ever been an article of clothing where you went, I really like this. I'm going to get a few more. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So these techniques are like those clothing and you have to find the ones that are comfortable and the ones that fit and the ones that work. And there are a ton of them out there, but they don't necessarily one size fits all. Agreed. Yeah. I think that my podcast, I think is introducing maybe some things that people haven't heard of and maybe building on other things that they have heard of. And that's kind of what I wanted to put out there is that there's so many different spiritual practices and you need to kind of find what resonates with you, try it out. And it may lead to one thing after another, after another, more spiritual practices that you can build on. So that's the goal. But tell me about your school of wizardry that you're involved with, not the one you don't own it maybe, but you're involved in teaching. Yes. I've been a Dean of a couple departments and I'm a professor. I've written a lot of courses for several different departments of the gray school of wizardry. And it's spelled G R E Y gray, because there's two spellings of that word. And so gray school of wizardry is 17 years old. And I've been there since 2016. I am the Dean of Psychic Arts. And in it, I have a path of curriculum that I've written on meditation. So I'm teaching you to tune into intuition through meditation. And just recently, I asked 
Swami Sarupananda from Shivananda Ashram, where I continue to study. What is intuition? How do we find intuition? And I love his answer. He said, meditation is the ladder that must be climbed in order to reach intuition. And that was exactly what I thought when I set out to write this curriculum. And now there's a, an entire major in it in the psychic arts department, which I completed the publishing of last year. And so I'm just thrilled that this was his answer because that was exactly what I thought. I wasn't expecting that for the question of what is intuition, but truly isn't learning to tune into our psychic ability about understanding intuition. And this is what I've always seen meditation as because meditation shows you your true self. It's about self-realization and it takes you to a unified field. And then when we're disconnected from the ego mind and we're in that unified state, then we're truly in an intuitive state. So we're not making and basing judgment and decisions on ego. And the trick is understanding, well, how do I know if it's my ego mind or I'm really intuitive right now? And there are different things that we can go through process-wise to test it. Look, some days and some moments, it's just not going to happen. And that's why it's really important to identify it as well, because then you know to say, I need to put this off till tomorrow. What are some basic ways you can identify the ego intrusion? Mm, this takes time and practice. I can't just give you a textbook, check this list, because mm. it's truly about realizing that your flesh body is not who you really are. Yeah. That you... We say, and we hear that we hear people say, we are spiritual beings having a human experience, right? You've heard something yes. similar to that. The first thing we need to figure out is what does that mean? What is a spiritual being? And what does that feel like, taste like, smell like, or not? You know, does that have senses? No, the senses are attached to the physical body. So true intuition is disconnected from this physical realm. And I'd say most people are not completely tuned into it. And at any given time, any of us can be knocked off of our intuitive self and into ego decision-making. Because when we're in the state of meditation, we're choiceless. So we're not making a choice. So if there's an emotion happening at any level, then that demands a choice be made. Any emotion, the response is a choice of some sort. So we'd have to learn how to disconnect. So in the state of meditation, Evie, we are withdrawing from the senses. So the symptoms of meditation would be you don't know your gender. You don't know where you are. You don't know what day it is, what time it is. You really don't know that you are. You you lose the sense of I'm a human being or you're I'm becoming disembodied. <laughs> it's even beyond that. It you're it's merging because in the yoga philosophy, there's only one self and we're all part of it. So a lot of times the metaphor of an ocean with waves will be used in teachings because we look out at the ocean, we see little 
white crested waves on it, we can think, well, there's a wave, there's a wave, there's a wave. And we see them as individuals. But if we go down a little bit deeper below the surface, it's just water, right? So were those waves really separate or are they really water? It's just perception. This takes constant practice because in any given moment, emotion could trigger and then a choice is made. So it's not always a choice of, should I drink this? Should I eat this? But these choices come even at very, very subtle levels and they affect things like our physiology and our ability to sleep. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of the things I've said about meditation that is a great benefit is that it kind of disconnects you from your overly emotional inclinations. You know, it kind of changes your relationship with emotions. Yes, it's a disconnecting. That is that is correct. So that's a tremendous benefit, really, because you can be you can be swinging around like a monkey with emotions all day long, enraged about something one minute, happy the next minute, deeply sad and depressed, you know, an hour later. I mean, you can go from one extreme to another every day of your life if you choose. You have to take control a little bit. You can't just let everything that comes your way disturb your, I guess, your peace. Yeah, most definitely. And I think that's why a lot of people are drawn to the idea of meditation is they want to find the relaxation and the peace. But then it's difficult because they're struggling and wrestling with the monkey mind. And monkey has been used quite often as a metaphor for the mind. Swami Vivekananda is very famous for having said the mind is like a drunk monkey that's been stung by a scorpion. And what you need to do is give the monkey a banana. So the banana in that idea is mantra, but it can also be pranayama. So it could be the sound, it could be the breathing technique, but those are, those are definitely the bananas to calm down the jumping monkey. It also helps, I think, to develop a little discipline to disengage in terms of electronic devices. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't really, I I think it's important to say, I don't really see that you can meditate well with your phone on and your laptop going. And I really think that you have to kind of shut things down a little. I tend to turn off the ringer of my phone when I meditate because I don't want to hear that somebody's texting me. I don't Mm. want to hear if, you know, I have a calendar notification, you know, Mm. I mean, there's just, we're allowing a great deal of intrusion in our lives nowadays that we didn't even have a long time ago. Right. Um, I recommend though, I'd like to take that a step further and encourage you to put it in airplane mode. Don't even let it be connected to the internet. Just put it in full airplane mode, especially if it's within 30 feet of you, but turn it all off. Because I agree when, if you're watching something or listening to something, you're entertaining yourself. That's not meditation. Don't get me wrong, everybody. Guided meditation is valid because it's a step in the right direction. And can you find yourself in the state of meditation, listening to something or even watching something? Yes, you can. Because the way brain waves work every 90 seconds, you potentially can be drawn into a trance-like state. So yes, all of this is valid and can work, but as a daily diet for meditation, I don't recommend it. I recommend moving slowly and steadily towards 
breathing practices, sound practices, and quiet, silent meditation. Because this is, this is how we clean our energy fields. We wash our bodies, hopefully twice a day, and <laughs> we drink water and we eat some clean, good nutrition. But then what are we doing for the mind? That's, and like you said earlier, Evie, we're bombarded with information. So turning screens off, if you like to watch movies or TV at night, that's fine. Because for a lot of people that creates serotonin, but then maybe try some blue blocking glasses to watch through. Or if you're watching on a device that has a nighttime mask that it can put on and take the blue light out, that's really important. And on your phone, on your cell phone, have it set a schedule so you don't have to think about it. And the blue light blocker comes on at, let's say, 10 p.m. or 9 p.m., whatever. And you can have a few hours of calming that down without the blue light blasting you everywhere. That makes it really difficult for a great many to sleep. I have a blue light blocker on my phone. I think it starts at 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can you can change that yourself. Yeah. And add it on. But that that could be a, a solution, you know, for a great yeah. many. And uh, with guided meditation, I find a lot of the feedback that I get over the years is people asking why do I fall asleep when I'm doing this? Well, first of all, you're probably lying down. If you're lying down on your bed, your body goes, oh, we're on the bed. I think I'll fall asleep. So it's not good to meditate on your bed. Leave the bed for sleep. Have another spot for meditation. If it's a lying down meditation, find another place, a sofa or build a nest on the floor. If you're falling asleep during a 30 to they're usually around 30, 45 minutes, sometimes a little bit longer. Sometimes they go almost an hour. Uh, it just depends on the leader, the teacher of it. I make shorter ones. I find that people like my shorter ones. And if you're falling asleep, then just sleep. But if you have to be somewhere, set an alarm. The nice thing is if you're using your phone for that, you can have it in airplane mode. Now, if you're listening to the guided meditation on your phone, try to use a downloadable one because you don't want to be hooked to the internet and Wi-Fi or especially your tower servers for your phone because those have really, really strong electromagnetic signals and they could be interfering with your ability and your comfort. Yeah, that's a good point. I actually do put my iPad and different devices on airplane mode quite often just because it's an energy saving mode as well. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're sleeping with your phone next to you. Yeah. Please put it in airplane mode yeah. because chances are if it's next to you, you're using it as an alarm clock and that will work without being connected anywhere. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Good tips. Yeah, that's a so big thing for sleep. Your cell phone, your devices, including your modems, should be 30 feet or more away from where you sleep. Which is hard to do sometimes. but it did, Yeah, occur. especially if you're in a small, like a tiny house or a small apartment. Yeah. So let's talk about your books a little. You have okay. a couple of books. Actually, you have like four, I think. Four, yeah. They're right and there. I like the Ignite the Modern Goddess and the Unfolding Happiness. Um, let's talk about the Modern Goddess one. Modern this Goddess. Is, okay. 
this is one where you have like stories by various women. Yeah, this is actually a project from a different publisher. Uh, Mm -hmm. Another publisher asked me to write a featured chapter for this book. So it's a compilation book where there are over 30 contributors. I'm making my piece into a standalone audiobook and an ebook with some really beautiful photographs. So my designer and I are working on the finishing touches to that. I just finished the audio production on the poetry book, which is The Wizard and the Wrench. So that will be out and available within a month. Lilith is a novel. And Unfolding Happiness is the book that's an introduction to Ayurveda, meditation, cosmology, and happiness. (laughs) That's a pretty good combination there. Yeah. I love that the happiness is thrown in. (laughs) Well, because my co-author Vijay and I wanted to make something, he wanted to write an introduction to Ayurveda. I wanted to write an introduction to energy and meditation. And so we, we combined it because meditation is such a big part of Ayurveda and health. And uh, it's, it's a lovely book. We tell our stories about our own personal health journeys. It's written in such a way that I feel a youngster could comprehend it and take it all in. So I wanted to keep it interesting enough and easy enough for a younger person to read. And your novel, is it Lilith? Lilith. What is it about actually? Uh, Lilith is about what women really want. And it's a fiction story. And I embedded quite a bit from my master's thesis, which was about the fact that there's a masculine and a feminine force in everything, that you can't separate them in anything in nature. And there's a lot of autobiographical stories in there. So people that read it quite often will contact me and say, was this one one of the real ones that happened to you? Or is this fiction? Because of the way I used all of these stories from my life. That's quite often how I write. If you want to get to know a little bit more about me, you can definitely read Lilith. Lilith won a spiritual fiction award when it first came out. Unfolding Happiness, the Ayurveda and meditation book, won one of the top 100 indie published books of the year when that came out. And I think that one was 2016. I didn't enter The Wizard and the Wrench, that's poetry, into any contest, but I did just recently record my co-author from that because between the shutdown and then some things that happened to him the year before, I hadn't gotten around to recording him. So Mm -hmm. uh, we just finished this and my former music producer is still doing some engineering for me and he just finished the files. So I've just got a little bit more to do behind the scenes to get that book out. And then the next book coming out is identifying and honoring the goddess, the short ebook, and that will have an audio book with it as well. And on the tail of that are two more books. So there's a lot, there's just getting something done yesterday was like, you know, it was just such a pile. And in between I make videos on my YouTube channel, I've got some storytelling and, you know, sometimes I'm doing an interview like this and I get a great story. So I'll pull the story out and make a standalone story video of that. You offer consultations too, right? With tarot and Mm -hmm. astrology. Astrology, yeah. Astrology is the primary because in life coaching, especially if somebody's looking at a location or 
uh, a timing of something or a relationship issue of pretty much anything. I mean, relationships are everywhere between us and things, between us and organizations, and everything can be charted. So uh, astrology is one of my main tools. And then teaching meditation, uh, doing speaking engagements. Uh, it, the variety is all over the place because, I mean, I've been teaching since I was 17. I started teaching meditation at 17. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be 62 this year. So there's quite <laughs> a lot of curriculum I've written over the years. And uh, an example is just last week, a friend of mine who's got a healing community based out of Germany, put a message up saying, does anybody know anybody who can teach about pendulums? And I said, yeah, I can. I've written courses on it. And so yesterday I did a presentation to that organization about intuition and teaching them the basics of kinesiology and pendulum. Yeah, you've definitely got a lot to offer on your website. I think anybody who checks it out is going to find something for them. You know, hopefully. (laughs) Thank Uh you so much, Ambika. (laughs) I appreciate your wisdom. And um, I want to check out your school of wizardry a little bit. I think I should actually have another interview with you about just that alone, because it's Mm. probably a huge topic to cover. Absolutely. I mean, we we could or uh, why not interview our headmaster? I'll put you in touch with him with Oberon Zell. Sure. And you can have him on and he'll talk about it. Yeah, that would be great. Feel free to leave questions or comments for this episode at disembodiedpodcast.com.